This is the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. The podcast for curious and passionate dental hygienists. Hi, Kara Vavrosky here from Today's RDH. Today, I am joined with Dr. Michael Lynch, who is a periodontist with a PhD in bacterial genetics and is the Global Director of Scientific Engagement of Oral Health at Listerine. We are going to chat about the efficacy and method of action of Listerine antiseptic mouth rinse and perhaps clear up some myths surrounding antiseptic mouth rinse. Thank you for chatting with me today, Dr. Lynch. It's a pleasure. My, definitely my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me, Kara. Yes, wonderful. All right. Well, let's just jump right in here. Um, so let's let's start with the basics here. Um, how does Listerine prevent plaque buildup? Well, you know, let's start with saying that it's a broad spectrum antimicrobial, um, and that provides a very fast germ killing action. And then with continued use over time, Listerine will help shift the microbiome to a healthier state, one that's more associated with improved gingival health. And in that process, with shifting it to a more to a healthier state, you're also thinning out the biofilm a bit because you're killing bacteria twice a day with you know with twice daily use. But you know more specifically, what's going on is you know I mentioned that it's an antimicrobial rinse, kills bacteria very quickly um, in between the teeth and actually in the entire mouth, so not just around the teeth. And it, over time, it helps to reduce the entire microbial mass. Um, and so it's that progressive the daily use that you basically um, continue to thin the biofilm on a twice daily basis. Um, as far as you know, mechanism of action, it does a, a few things. It, it slows the repopulation rate, kills pathogenic bacteria. Now, yes, it also does kill you know, good bacteria. Um, but what happens is that the bad bacteria actually take a longer time to grow back. So it's a competition between the good and the bad bacteria. And actually the bad bacteria can't even really start to thrive again until the good bacteria set up this whole, this whole ecosystem, which then allows the conditions uh, to be good for these bad bacteria, typically gram-negative anaerobes, to start to really repopulate. So you have that slowing of the repopulation rate. Um, it also helps to reset this complex equilibrium between the resident species in the mouth. Um, so there are good bacteria protective, there are bacteria that are neither good nor bad, and then there are the bad, the bad bacteria that we call them. Um, and as I said, it helps thin the, the biofilm, uh, shifting the microbiome toward one. People typically use the term symbiosis, and the opposite of that is dysbiosis, and dysbiosis is a you know, disequilibrium in the state. So a lot of people say it goes back to you know, a symbiotic environment. Technically, the true scientific term is eubiosis, but you'll commonly hear talking of you know, the, the term symbiosis, and you can use them interchangeably. And so that's, you know, with daily use, you just get that continued reduction of the bacteria. You're kind of knocking the bad bacteria on their heels. It takes them a while to recover. Um, and in, in the interim, the good bacteria are kind of growing back up, and then the not good or not bad bacteria are also growing up fast. That makes that makes sense because there there is a myth there. Oh well, it kills you know your good bacteria too. But thank you for taking that a step further and explaining that. Um, so speaking of like the microbiome, um, how does Listerine affect your oral microbiome? Well, first let's start with uh, what's what is your oral microbiome and. There's about 700 different species of bacteria that can be found in the human oral cavity. 
Not everybody has all those 700 species. Typically a person has roughly say between two and 300 species. So it varies from person to person. And there are, generally speaking, there are billions of bacteria in your mouth. Um, it's kind of a crazy number to, to think about. So out of those two to 300 species in the mouth, um, maybe several dozen are considered you know, pathogenic or opportunistic pathogens. Uh, science is really still making progress on that and identifying some bacterial species that we didn't even know existed just a few years ago. And they're finding them, they, they play a role in periodontal diseases, uh, gingivitis and periodontitis. So there's a lot going on in the mouth. So what Listerine does, as far as affecting the oral microbiome, as we were talking about before, it kills the pathogenic bacteria. Generally speaking, the gram-negative anaerobes, um, it also kills other, you know, the other bacteria, but they grow back faster. Um, but it slows the repopulation rate overall, but that has more uh, adverse effects on the bad bacteria because they're kind of slow growers to begin with. Listerine also helps to prevent plaque formation. So you're looking at things on a clinical level now. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it also helps keep the, the biofilm uh, thin. So you just have to use it with continued use and you'll get to a place that's more compatible with uh, improved gingival health. I like that continued use. Um, Got to make a habit. Um, yeah. So will the bacteria in patient's mouth develop resistance if they use Listerine long-term, similar to antibiotics? This is kind of a, you know, a myth that perhaps might be going around. Yeah, you know, Listerine antiseptic, it's an antimicrobial rinse. It's the fixed combination of the four essential oils and how they work is in a non-specific action. So they basically go in and more or less punch holes in the bacterial membranes and there's other things going on also. And since it's non-specific mechanism of action, it's really hard for bacteria to develop any form of resistance against it um, versus antibiotics, which typically have you know, targets either on the cell membrane or inside the cell itself, messing up the machinery of the cell. Um, antibiotics can work several, a number of different ways. Uh, generally speaking, they're nearly, not nearly as broad spectrum acting as antimicrobials are. So as I said, Listerine is an antimicrobial rinse. Antimicrobials are a very different animal when you're talking about you know, drugs and mechanism of action versus antibiotics. Antibiotics, why resistance occurs is that the, the genetic elements that confer resistance to a particular drug are easily transferable between different bacteria. And so not just even within the same species, but across different species. So inter and intra species um, genetic exchange. So there's these things called plasmids where vectors that contain the genes to confer antibiotic resistance. And generally speaking, they don't incorporate themselves into the, the chromosome of the bacteria. So they sit outside the bacteria's DNA um, in other parts of, of the cell. I am a uh, microbiology junkie, so I very much appreciate that response. Um, so another thing that kind of what I've heard um, in the hygiene community, um, dental community, is um, I've heard people say or state that Listerine causes xerostomia or increases the risk of oral cancer. Um, so can you speak to what the research shows there? Sure. Uh, there's no evidence to suggest either. Um, First, when we're talking about drying out the mouth, and not necessarily just in zero stomach patients, but in your typical consumer, otherwise healthy consumer, there's concern out there, and it's unfounded in my opinion, that it dries out the mouth. Um, and there's evidence to suggest that it doesn't. Uh, there are two studies done at NYU, uh, Ross Kerr is the primary author on the two of them, 
and they compared Listerine to non-alcohol containing mouthrinse as far as looking at salivary flow rate and at recording adverse events. And they found no difference between the two. They even saw a slight increase in salivary function or flow after use of the products. Um, and then there's also a third paper that done at University of Buffalo years ago, Stu Fishman. He looked at Listerine in an exaggerated use model. He had zero stomach patients for instance, several times a day. And again, he found no decrease in salivary function. Uh, and they found the, the, the zero stomach subjects did not report any sort of drying of the tissue, any sensation or anything like that. And if you think about it, the oral cavity in the brain has a direct connection. And so anytime you put something in the oral cavity, the brain gets told, okay, time to increase salivary function because thinking we're gonna eat it and, and swallow it. And so you can chew on paraffin wax that's completely tasteless and you'll stimulate salivary flow. Um, and so in the case of putting a mouthwash in there, not only do you have that mechanical action signaling the brain, um, there's probably also something going on as far as the, um, the flavor, the, the sensory profile that also may uh, increase salivary flow. Um, so I think there's good evidence out there that suggests it doesn't happen. I think one of the common misperceptions and why it makes sense in people's minds about alcohol drying out the soft tissues in the mouth is that you know in your lab biology lab classes you know throughout school um, when you're taking a specimen and you want to examine under a microscope you put it onto a slide and then you put it in successive baths of alcohol to dehydrate the tissue and so it attaches to the slide and so I think somewhere in, in everybody's minds you equate uh, alcohol to drying out the tissue but that's something entirely different in a laboratory setting as opposed to what's going on in the mouth and so the two really shouldn't be conflated. So as far as the safety concern of oral cancer, uh, there have been a large number of, of reviews done over the years um, so that you have the primary literature looking at epidemiology of, of the studies. And then you have uh, within the past say 20 or so years, the development of systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And at this point there probably have been maybe a half a dozen meta-analyses on, on Listerine um, and its association with oral cancer. And they really haven't demonstrated any meaningful association. Uh, the most recent one was in the Journal of Evidence-Based Dental Practice in 2020. And it was done by a group in Spain. And they looked at 14 articles. Uh, three of them were case-controlled studies and three were actually clinical trials. And their conclusion, and I'll, I'll read this, is that there is no sufficient evidence to accept the proposition that the use of mouthwashes containing alcohol can influence the development of oral cancer. Um, there's also a group, the IARC, International Agency for Research on Carcinogens, they're a European-based organization, very conservative group. Um, what they do every several years is they examine the level of evidence for suspected carcinogens. Um, and alcohol-containing mouthwashes, it was on the list in, I think it was a 2014 paper. Um, and what they do in, in this analysis is they recommend what level of, of urgency there is for further research is high, medium, and low. Um, and what they found for alcohol-containing mouthwashes was that there was low priority for further research. They basically say case closed in that article, um, in, the, in, the, in the review itself. Um, and also one of the interesting things is that the very next item, because they re reviewed about 85 different ingredients overall, very next item was processed and red meat. And that had a high priority for further study as a suspected carcinogen. And so 
you know, some of you may remember about six or seven years ago, roughly, there was a lot of attention in the newspapers about now they're saying red meat and processed foods and processed meat causes cancer. And that was largely driven, I believe, from the publication of this IARC monograph. And I thought it was kind of interesting that the two items were just juxtaposed with each other. Um, low priority for research on alpha mouthwashes and high priority for red and processed meat. Thank you for that clarification, um, because, you, you know, we we love evidence based everything, right? Like that's how you should treat your patients when you use products on based on things with evidence. And so I think it is just incredibly um, important to make sure that these myths are cleared up with peer reviewed research. Um, so what I think in closing here, um, what makes Listerine safe and effective? Well, it, we know it's a broad spectrum antimicrobial, germ killing action, of course. Uh, so that's, that points to the efficacy of it. Um, we know what it does, it kills bacteria, 99.9% .9 of the bacteria that cause bad breath, plaque, and gingivitis. Um, countless studies over the years. Actually, I, I found out about a year ago, I stumbled across the first publication on Listerine was a lab study in 1906 in the Journal of Infectious Diseases. Um, and then also there was a, 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 an internal report from, I think, 1932 that looked at it in people. And then I think the first publication in humans was in, I believe, 1952. So there's this long, long history out there that we were sitting on top of for decades and didn't even know. And you know, Listerine has been around for over a century, used and recommended as a mouthwash. That means there's billions and billions of doses that have been administered over the years in I don't know how many countless millions of people. Long-term use, uh, we monitor through pharmacovigilance uh, in you know, our own uh, processes there. And of course, there's a lot in the literature with independent authorities looking at the safety of it as well. So it's got a long established history. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, Listerine is killing the pathogenic bacteria, it slows repopulation rate, helps prevent plaque formation, and that's what leads to health. I mean, gingivitis, gingival inflammation and bleeding, uh, that's the outcome measure that we, I believe we should be focused on is that's the clinical measure of most relevance in my mind. Plaque gets you there, so it's nice to control plaque, but ultimately I wanna see a reduction in inflammation in, in my patients. Um, I talked about a number of clinical trials, uh, the no shift in the composition of the plaque, you know, that's been studied. Um, there were two long-term studies out there done in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. Uh, clinical trials on Listerine, looking at the bacterial profile, potentially changing over a six-month period of time, and they found nothing there. Uh, we recently did an internal safety analysis going right to the original studies and, the, and the, actually the source data, did a safety analysis on 15 of our clinical trials, six months of longer, and this is over a period of 20 years, these studies were done, and it was about 3,200 subjects in the two arms, so the Listerine arm versus the control arm. And the adverse events reported in those two arms were basically identical. Um, and they were also uh, less than 1% incidence in both of those arms. So we've got a long established history, clinical trials, and pharmacovigilance that su supports Listerine being safe for use. Also in that study, over 3,200 3, patients, again, pulled from 15 studies, 
there were no treatment related serious adverse events. Um, so I think when you take all that into consideration, uh, Listerine is a very, very widely used product over decades, even over a century. And it's been demonstrated time and again that it is safe and effective. Thank you. You're definitely the gentleman, the doctor to be talking to about this. A um, little bit of microbiology in there, a little bit of physiology in there. Um, I Thank you. Um, I think that about covers it because these are just the most common things that I have heard. And it was like, hey, why don't we just clear the air, but let's do it with evidence-based research. So I want to thank you, Dr. Lynch, for taking the time to chat with me today. And I want to thank everybody who tuned in. Um, I wanted to mention that if you want to learn more about the science of Listerine, um, I encourage anybody to check out listerineprofessional.com. They have a ton of resources available for you to explore. Tons of their research and studies are all there. Um, is there anything you would like to add? Uh, it just thanks for the invite. It's been a real pleasure to, to speak with you. Um, thank you. You are one hoot of a guy, so I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I want everyone to go out and really look at, look at the research yourself. Um, if you have any questions, you don't yeah. just have to take, and I should say, Dr. Dr. Lynch's um, word for it. Um, again, thank you, Dr. Lynch. And I appreciate the privilege of your time for watching. Thank take you very care. much, Kara. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.